this week, we kick off a brand new series here at Encounter Church called New Year's Solutions. New Year's Solutions. So we want to look at the spiritual stuff happening in our hearts and provide some practical solutions. And we're going to do it through the lens of some of our, our key resolutions that we make as Australians. And we're going to look through that lens and just ask, what is it though that's really, what's going on in our hearts behind all that? Because Jesus, every time somebody asked him a question in the Bible, they would ask him a question sort of ostensibly about something and Jesus would sort of cut behind and go, what are you really talking about here, mate? Come on, what are you really talking about here? Hands up and just be honest, no judgment, no shame. Are you a resolution person? Are you the kind of person that makes resolutions? Not many. All right, well, let me, all right, I am. I'm not just doing that to make you raise your hand. I'm a resolutions person. Statistics show that if you make resolutions, you are more likely to actually achieve them and therefore achieve stuff. I mean, conversely, you might just be achieving stuff all the time and you don't need to make resolutions like me. But I'm just, I'd encourage you, make resolutions. Out of those people who are resolution people, how many achieve those resolutions? Yep, me too. Okay, and that's the problem. That's the problem. We start with the best intentions and we decide we're going to make these resolutions and we're going to stick at them and we've got this. 2019's our year, new year, new me. I'm going to put it on Instagram so everybody can see it and like it and tell me they got me. We're behind you in this, babe. You've got this year. And then we're just not going to talk about it for the rest of the year because by February, we've forgotten. We've forgotten. So tonight... I want to start off by combining together the two by miles top resolutions that people make as as human beings, particularly in Australia. Anybody want to guess what they are? Fitness. Eat better, get fitter. That's what we're all about, all right? Get fitter, eat better. This is what we're all about tonight. Clearly, I am like the personal trainer hand sculpted by God to give you this from my own personal experience of eating. That's, that's primarily where my experience is in this. But I've got to say, one of the reasons I'm excited about talking about resolutions is A, because it, it does grow you as a person. You can start to achieve stuff. And when you achieve goals like that, it's better for your mental health. It's better for your overall sense of well-being. And you know, it's better for the world in general. But also because last year I actually achieved a few goals, which was nice. Really nice to actually do that. So one of the things that happens when we set resolutions, right? If you're anything like me, you you start off with the best of intentions, you set these goals, and then you find that you are just not able to. Like you you go for three weeks. That's kind of the the standard period of time that people are like, I've got three weeks, I've got three weeks. I think I'm done. I don't think I I can do it anymore. Bake me a cake already, you know. And so... If you last through three weeks, you're starting to make it a habit. If you've got it lasting three months, you're kind of locking something in. So I did that with reading last year, which is not, you know, like that's like the opposite of fitness, but still. I decided to do that with reading. I decided I was going to read 52 books in a year, so a book a week. And I ended up reading 55. Pretty good. Pretty good. And I totally said that so that somebody would say, wow, because I'm impressed. So I was just hoping someone else would be. But... Last year, I found that when I did that and I set little achievable goals, like that's a book a week, just knock off one book a week or close to it and using apps like Goodreads to help me keep track of things, I found that suddenly I was able to achieve goals a bit better. Uh, Here's the thing though. Why do we set goals at all? Why do we? It's because there's something behind us 
saying that we want to change. We have the capacity to change. We can do more than we're currently doing. We can be more than we're currently being. We can hope for more than we're currently hoping for. That's why we set goals. So we get to 2019. I spent the last year setting measurable goals, either achieving them or getting pretty close on that target. And I'm feeling pretty happy about it. And what do I do? I basically start a new resolution. It's like, oh, I'll just eat better this year. Yeah. How many people know that never works? Nobody has ever just generically gone, I'll eat better and then eaten better. Like they might have ordered one salad and immediately felt sad about it. This is how we do this, these things. You've got to set tangible goals. But then I wonder why. Why? why? Why do I want to do this so badly? Because I don't even know where to start. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, like, I grew up and they had the food pyramid. It's like, this is what healthy foods are, and this is what uh, unhealthy foods are, and eat like nine serves of carbs a day. That's what healthy is. And then they, people started going, carbs aren't as good for you as you think. And then other people said, actually, they're better than you realize. And then suddenly there's a million diets, and I don't know what anything means anymore. Right? The, the keto diet, I've got to read these. Atkins, paleo, chappaquiddick. Raw, macrobiotic, vegan, volumetric, it's overwhelming. And one of those is fake, but I'm not telling you which one. You have to work it out. <laughs> Poor vegans. There's always somebody firing shots at vegans in the room. It's usually me, but not today. Not today. Vegans are just way more disciplined than me, so shout out to you if you're a vegan, honestly. And don't get me started, by the way. Forget diets. Don't get me started on personal trainers. Like, it's not that I have a problem with them. I just mean, like, literally, please don't get me started with a personal trainer because it feels like a lot of work. It feels like a lot of money. I just don't get me started with one, please. It just sounds painful. We do have a weight problem in Australia, though. All jokes aside, researching this was one of the saddest moments of my week. 47% of 18 to 25-year-old males are classed as overweight or obese. So almost half of 18 to 25-year-olds, fellas, that's before your metabolism's shutting down as well, okay? Like, when you hit 30, we can at least blame the metabolism just generically, like, well, the metabolism kicked in. It's not my fault anymore. But come on, like 50%. But the rest of us is more like 75%. That's bad, right? Like, I'm in that category. I'm not pointing any fingers here. But that's not good. Women, you're a bit fitter. Well done. Uh, you're still more like 60% overweight once you hit 35. Yay. Whew. Clearly, we overeat and we eat bad foods. So making fitness goals, right, diet and exercise goals, this is a good thing. Just before I start going down whatever track I go down, hear me in this. Making goals around your diet around your sense of fitness and well-being is good, flatly good. It can go bad, of course, but it's generally good. And it's actually estimated that something like one in three Australians will make a practical goal around getting fitter or eating healthier this year. Anyone? Has anyone done that, by the way? Yeah? Yeah, like, yeah that's probably one in three, like looking at the hands that are up and then imagining the ones that are thinking it but not putting their hands up. One in three Australians is going to do this. And, and this seems to be kind of a natural obsession, which seems okay. We should want to be healthier. But what's the deep motivation behind this? Because let's be real. Some, sometimes we tell ourselves, it's because I want to be healthier. I want to be a physically healthier person. 
I want to I wanna play, be able to play with my kids when I'm 50. You know, we just, we just say off the cuff random things that we heard on a terrible soap opera once. So, like, but really, a lot of it has to do with other things. I, I want to cover three ideas that I think God would want us to see behind the motive. So again, it is good to set diet and exercise goals. Please hear this. But it's the stuff that's behind it that we need to ask ourselves, like Jesus did. What are the hidden motives of our hearts? Because there is something within all of us that keeps insisting that we're falling short of a mark. There has to be more. There's a longing for more somewhere within us. I think there are three different ways we do this. The first one is to look better. To look better. Now, this is kind of an obvious one, right? We get fit, we look better, we post it on Instagram, we only put the before photo up when we've got an after photo, you know? Like, this is the stuff we do. It's very, very obvious, and when you see it, you know it. We all do it to some extent, right? But this is, this is a very important scripture on this. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, this is a single verse ripped out of context from the Old Testament. Let me tell you why it's so important. Because this verse refers to when the prophet Samuel was told by God to go and pick the king of Israel. And he says, go pick this kid, David. And Samuel's like, but all his brothers are here and they're stronger and buffer and better looking. They've got it all. And and God says, no, 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 no. You're looking at the wrong stuff. And David, by the way, good looking dude. It says so in scripture. But the whole point was that it's not just about our outward appearance. Now, the desire to look better is totally understandable. We're visual people. I sometimes hear people, I think, protesting a little too much about, you know, you can't, you can't just judge a book by its cover. Like, that's true. But unless I know what the blurb is about and what the cover looks like, I'm not buying that book. Do you know what I mean? Like you've, you, we do have to recognize that there's a degree to which we're visual people. If you're spending your whole life in a relationship that's purely visual, that's terrible. But you might need to recognize that to get stuff going, sometimes, yeah, you might need to do your hair. It's all right. I, again, I might not be the model of this right now. That's fine. It's my way of saying that, you know, unless you've got a good cover and an interesting blurb on your book, people might not take the time to read it. It's, it's just a way of saying Do take time to care for your physical appearance. That's a good thing. But there is that fine line between care and vanity, isn't there? Where it's one is saying, I feel better about myself because I look good. Another is saying, I wonder if other people will affirm me in that. I wonder if I can dress in a way that gets enough looks. I wonder if I can flex in a way that gets enough looks. I wonder if I just hang out in or near a gym long enough wearing one of those like side cut singlets. People go, oh, well, look at, look at your delts. I don't know what delts are. They're muscles, I'm pretty sure. Ask Matt if you want more. Oh, yeah, Matt's, Matt's excited about it. But, but he actually has them, so that's the difference. We should care about our physical appearance, but it's only one part of attraction. Only one part. We have an obsession with looking good. Recently, over the last couple of weeks, there's a photographer called Rankin, and he did this project where he gathered a bunch of teenagers, and he said, all right, I'm going to take your photo, right, and then we're going to put it on social media, but what I'll do is I'll take it, and I'll give it back to you in Photoshop, and you do whatever you want. You make it ready for your, how you want it presented on social media. All I'm going to do is record what happens in the, in the movement. So then, not in the movement, but he, like take the before and after and do one of those face merging things. And it's astonishing to see what they did. 
It's not as simple as just going, let's put a filter on it. It's not as simple as going, why don't you add a bit, a bit of blush, a bit of eyeliner, a bit of lipstick, whatever. It's actually like, let's thin out my neck. Let's hollow out my cheeks. Let's make my eyes look bigger. Let's make my nose look thinner. People are identifying with just anything else but who they are. They're altering themselves cosmetically in this idea in Photoshop. And of course, we see in the real world, people are doing it again and again and again, altering themselves because they look in the mirror and they just don't like what they see. There is something in which we want to look better. But essentially, that's a pride issue. And pride, my friends, is at the root of all sin. All separation from God is linked with pride somewhere. It's the original sin idea, this idea that I know you told me I shouldn't eat from that tree, but I've got better ideas than you do, God. Don't worry, I've got this. That's kind of what's linked in with it. Looking better is a pride issue. The desire to be physically more attractive so that we feel good about ourselves. We feel emotionally good. But it's more than just an emotional issue. It does have, feeling good obviously has biological benefits. And I want to acknowledge that. It's not just about looking better. It's about feeling better. And I think when we feel better, that's about stewardship. Now, stewardship is a super christian word that I never hear in any other context. But it basically means to take good care of things. And you feel better about yourself when you say, I, I feel like the gift that God has given me, my body, I am taking care of. And that is really difficult for some people because we all are given different bodies. We all have different genetic capacities. Some of us put on weight easier. Some of us find it really hard to put on weight and it's a source of frustration. Some of, some of us uh, fall pregnant easily. Some of us find that difficult. Some of us are more prone to sickness. Some of us have better health. But with all of us, we have one body to care for. And there is a stewardship issue. How are we caring for our body? This is what Paul says about that. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? He's saying, actually, all the stuff that Jesus did, a lot of it points to this idea, there's no temple anymore except you. And God is within you. The Spirit of God is at work in you. And if that's the case, make his home really nice. Look after it. Care for yourself. That's something that I get challenged with, honestly. So when we do all of this, this, this sense of diet and exercise, and we do it out of a motivation to feel better, not about our appearance or even emotionally to say, look at me, go, but a sense of going, actually, physiologically, biologically, I want to look after this body that God has given me. There is a sense within that 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 is a noble pursuit, and I would encourage that. So again, it's not a bad thing to have diet and exercise goals. But the third motivation is the one that really speaks to the human condition and really speaks to our relationship with God. And that's not the desire to look better or the desire to feel better, but the desire to be better. I want to be better. Somehow at our core, we recognize that we can be more than we currently are. The guilt we can feel about this has often fueled religion in the Christian world. A sense of being driven by guilt into our objectives, driven by guilt, you know, the classic God told me so I guess I have to, you know, that kind of mindset which there's no freedom, there's no life, there's no love in that. Guilt has driven so much in that. But ultimately this desire to be better drives every resolution you've ever made. I want to be better than I currently am. It's a psychological issue, it's an emotional issue, it's a physiological issue, it is everything. But what do we do about that? If looking better is about pride, 
And feeling better is about stewardship. Then being better is about holiness. It's about the desire to be closer to God. There is a sense that there is an ideal that we are looking to reach and we're chasing after it. And every resolution we ever have, there is one burning statement behind it. One burning statement that is at the heart of all of us and when we're looking in the mirror on our bad days is the thing that comes up and it's simply this, I'm not the person I want to be. I'm not the person I want to be. And on a bad day, that quickly turns into, I'm not enough. I'm not good. I'm not lovable. I'm not wanted. I'm not enough. But it's this gap at the heart of our resolutions, at the heart of our relationship with God, this gap that sin has created, that we are distant from God. What do we do about that? What do we do about getting up and looking in the mirror like that? Well, Paul had some stuff to say about it, and he had a similar problem. And the reason it is helpful that Paul had a similar problem about, with this is because Paul was that guy in high school who was good at everything, right? That you hated, but also you couldn't hate because they were likable as well. You know that person? Like, honestly, you know, they were, they were good looking, they were athletic, they were charming, they were funny, they were academic. And Clark, if you're listening, it's you, but I don't even dislike you because you're just a good dude as well and that frustrates me. <sighs> we should catch up sometime, listen to the podcast, let's do coffee. He's great. That's the frustration, isn't it? This person's so great. And Paul was like this. He talks about basically he's the Hebrew of Hebrews. He says this ironically at one point in the letter to the Philippians. But then he goes on and throughout his life, he goes, I'm having this wrestle where I'm trying to draw nearer to God. And every time I feel like something's getting in my way, something is stopping me. And we get to this letter he wrote to a church in Corinth in ancient Greece. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to be, uh, chapter 12, sorry, verse 7, and I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Version today. The Amplified Version is a really interesting one that I don't often read from, but I really like what it does here because it helps fill in some gaps of understanding. Now, Paul had some of the most extraordinary experiences that any Christian ever had. He was a persecutor of the church, and then he had this dramatic conversion experience. He traveled as a missionary. He planted churches. He argued persuasively in Jesus' name and saw dozens and dozens of people come to Jesus. As well as this, he had numerous spiritual experiences, endured persecutions, and raised up generations of leaders. The most famous was the road to Damascus moment. You might have heard this, this phrasing as, as being like when you have a big revelation. And in this road to Damascus moment, Paul has, uh, he hears the voice of Jesus and he's blinded. And then he has a second spiritual experience where he's healed of the blindness. And then he goes out and serves Jesus. So he writes this letter to a church he planted in the city of Corinth in ancient Greece. Chapter 12, this is what he says, verse 7. The amplified version will be behind you, uh, be up behind me. Verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I received from God, for this reason, to keep me from thinking of myself as important, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment and harass me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul self-reflecting. He's saying, man, I've had some good stuff happen in my life. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to get a big head about it because I know what I'm really like when I'm given free reign. Verse 8. Concerning this... I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. 
But he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely unfold me and enfold me and may dwell within me. So I am well pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. Paul believed that not only was he an imperfect and broken person, but that actually he would never be healed from this weakness. He came, this was his revelation. He prayed three times. You know, you'd, you'd think, right, he's telling this dramatic story. He's like, I prayed three times. And you're like, on, and on the third time, right? It was on the third time. No, no, no. On the third time, God said, you don't need me to heal you. You need to stay broken. There's something about the brokenness that is more than the wholeness. What? How do you do a resolution where you aim to stay broken? It's incredible. And for many of us here today, this could feel like the worst possible news. Because you're wrestling with stuff that you've been trying to give to God for months and years, and you feel like God hasn't been listening. And you say, I'm I'm trying, God. I'm trying to lay it down. Every time the pastor's asked me to respond, I'm responding. I'm doing it. I'm laying it down. And it could be that God's saying, I'm actually perfected in you, not when you're healed, but right now, in the brokenness, right now. I know I wrestle with this. I know that I spend equal time praying that my sins and struggles will be taken away and then another half kind of wondering, um, is this it for the rest of my life? This is part of the tension we deal with as followers of Jesus who live in the present moment looking forward to the future kingdom of God. We live in the now and the not yet. We live in a place where we know Jesus can heal us now, but we're not facing that eternal healing, that final outcome for some day yet and so we live in this eternal cry of saying Jesus what's your will for my life what's the burden I need to bear and I think we're really called to stay broken I don't mean we're called to stay sinful right I want to separate those two things because sin is deliberate rebellion from God but brokenness brokenness is the understanding the acknowledgement the willingness to accept that we are human that we have been made in a way that sin has broken us and we live in that place. And at Encounter, we have these four core values that Jenny eventually got to um, this evening. And one of them is being real. And actually, nobody lives that out more than my wife. She is the realist. One conversation with her and you know. And the reason we have this as a core value is, A, because... I can't deal with saying authentic too often. But B, more realistically, it, it's because we don't want perfect people. We want a hospital for the broken. 
This is not a museum where you come if you're perfect. This is a place where if you feel like you need healing, you can come and receive it in Jesus' name. And that even though we know that we're on this onward quest to become more like Jesus, which is at the heart of all these resolutions, that in the middle of that, in our brokenness, God is healing us one step at a time. Every time, it doesn't matter what you have, bring it to Jesus. You don't know if that healing's there for you. Because let me tell you something. In the realness, as you're wrestling for healing, one of the ways you get healed is by understanding and being content with your situation. That where you are right now, God's got you. God has you. And Paul went through his life and he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, this church in sort of Turkey area. He wrote this letter and he said, look, I'm old, I'm in jail, I'm probably not getting out. Let me tell you, you know what I've learned here? I've learned the secret of contentment. I'm happy. I don't need to get out of jail because I've got Jesus. In any and every circumstance, I am content. The reason, church, that we want you to be real is because there's nothing perfect here except Jesus. And Jesus can't transform who you're pretending to be. We want you to take the mask off. We want you to come face to face with Jesus for an encounter. And I know what it's like when you come to church. I still remember it. I was 19 years old when I first came to church. I was terrified, did not want to be there, but I just knew I was meant to. And all I could do was sense the Spirit of God and respond to it. That's all I had in me. I didn't have any more courage. I didn't have any intelligent words to say. I was actually a sobbing wreck. But the one thing I think I did right is I stopped trying to wear a mask. I stopped trying to be somebody else. I stopped trying to impress people for the sake of impressing them. I put all that aside as much as I could. And I said, God, if you'll have me like this, I'll have you, that's for sure. Tonight, my prayer is that Jesus will encounter you. That no matter what your background is with God, you'll be open to the idea that He loves you and actually wants to meet you right here. This is not just for people who've never had that moment before. This is for people who at the start of the year are saying, I need God in my life. I'm chasing the presence of God. I didn't even know I was until I heard about it tonight. But every time you mention Jesus, something's happening in me. I feel like I'm overcome with tears or something. At the start of this year, Encounter Church, there's nothing more I want more for all of you than to pursue Jesus. That's pursuing perfection as a goal and knowing you will never be it yourself this side of eternity. It's powerful. Paul says that in his weakness, he actually discovers true strength, true fulfilment, true life. He comes to the end of his strength and he finds true strength in God. Because let's come to the Jesus part of this, all right? We talked about being better as the big problem with our resolutions. We, that's at the heart of wanting a better body. It's at the heart of wanting to be fitter. We want to be better. But you can't be better. You can't be better enough for God, I should say. 
Jesus is the one who's already done that. Jesus is the one who lived the life you were meant to live. He suffered the sufferings you were meant to endure because of your brokenness and the way we rebel against God. And Jesus took that all upon Himself and said, I would do it again for your sake out of my great love. God came down from heaven, emptied Himself of His power and died on a tree for you and I. That's the story of Jesus. The be better part has been done. Because when you're in Christ, all that God sees is a new creation. And so if you've ever heard Christians use weird language like being born again, first of all, that's not physical. That's not a womb thing. Just want to relieve everybody there. What it is, is new life. But this is the language that Jesus uses. He says, if you want to follow me, if you want to meet God, you need a new life. Oh, to be a bit better? No. Oh, to, to improve? No. No, you you actually need to die to who you were and become alive in Christ. It's not about getting better. It's about being resurrected. It's not about being sick and feeling a little healthy. It's about being dead and being alive. And this is not just about eternity. This is not just about heaven. This is about right now when the Spirit of God is in you and you find life, life in abundance, life that flows out of you and everybody around you is captivated. And they say, I don't know what it is, but there's something about you. What is it about you? And you say, honestly, it's because I'm broken. It's because I've got nothing, but I found Christ. And in Christ, I have everything. I am found, I'm made new, I'm made whole, I'm alive. Well, we're coming to the end of tonight's worship. I almost forgot, I, I promised that we give some practical advice about, about how to be real. And uh, I, I've got three tips. The first one is this, be honest about what you don't know particularly with God. Uh, I guess I'm speaking mostly to the Christians in the room. Be honest about what you don't know. And then if you really want the answers, research them. Be honest about that. And in that, this is all about your relationship with God. So the second thing is ask God. Have Have a quiet time where you stop and ask God to speak and just leave empty space to listen. Just leave empty space to listen. And the third one is really simple. And I know it's like super generic pastor to say, join a life group. This is where you actually do real together. I'm, I'm really excited for those of you who are going to be joining a life group for the first time in the coming weeks. If you don't have a group and you'd like to join in, it's for everyone. You don't need anything to join. If you want to do it, we'd love to have you. We do life groups all across the city. And when we do that, there are spaces to be real, to bear one another's burdens, to sharpen one another so we become more like Jesus growing up into Christ and just to enjoy life together. These are ways to be real with each other. Tonight in 2019, I hope rather than um, setting goals about your diet or your exercise, as good as that might be and as much as frankly I should probably get around it, I, I hope your goal is simply to draw nearer to Jesus. Draw nearer to Christ in 2019 and watch what happens. In fact, I'm going to say it. Challenge God. Throw out the challenge. Say, God, do it. I need you. Draw near. Do it. Throw out the challenge to God and see what happens. Because God is faithful and He will do it. I back God every time in that challenge. Let me pray for you.